In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, the Bible writer there says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I might borrow that concept and, concept and say that it seems as if politics, politics are the same yesterday and today and forever. Um, it seems, at least to me, that while it sometimes makes a temporary difference, that in the long run, uh, it doesn't seem to affect things, who is in control, who is in power. Um, it always seems to go sort of in the same direction. And depending upon even what kind of government you've got. Now, I'm very thankful for the democracy that we have. I'm very thankful for those who have come before us and those who are trying to serve in our government now. But there have been a ver many countries with a variety of forms of government that have all progressed in the same direction. From hope and grandeur uh, down a path that should not have been taken. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's, that's a bit of a disappointment. Uh, especially when I think perhaps just even in a smaller focus of some of the candidates that have come before. The, the good things I were hoping that would come from them. Uh, and I think I'm not the only one who's been disappointed. Some have really hung their hats on the candidate that was was vying for this or that position, in particular the, the chief position in the land. So, for example, our president, uh, sometimes to listen to the folks who are campaigning for whatever the candidate may be, it's as if this person is going to just usher in the peace and prosperity we have, have long been waiting for. This is the guy who can bring us out of our funk. This is the one who can take us to new heights as a nation, and people are really are going to start getting it. Peace is going to increase. Taxes will decrease. The economy will thrive. Bacon will be free for all. All the babies will be beautiful, and every girl that's proposed to will say yes. It just seems like all oh, their hopes are hung on this person winning that election. And inevitably... Ultimately, it just seems to kind of go back to the way that it was. Uh, maybe you move the, the, the dial a little bit in one direction, and then the next guy comes in and moves it back to the other direction. Uh, maybe it kind of ends up in the middle, or it swings wide here or there, but it all just kind of keeps on, you know, plugging along. Um, that's not to say I'm not upset by things that have done by political leaders in the past, or thankful for things that have been done by others. It all just seems to kind of keep on plugging. And even though it probably sounds like it so far, I'm not actually saying all this to discourage you. Because um, I think we ought not really expect anything more from mankind. Especially since we can't leave out of the mix the fact that Satan is always there. Sin is always in this world. And to an extent, there isn't a whole lot we're ever going to be able to do about that. You and I can certainly do something about our sin. We can absolutely have a dramatic effect in the lives of others when we bring the gospel to them. But we are not going to be able to permanently drive out the serpent from the garden. So Satan's always going to be there, always working with that penchant that he has for disrupting and disturbing everything that goes on around us. Something else, there's a variety of different things to consider when it comes to this whole subject. Lord Acton once said centuries ago, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. 
The idea of putting people in positions of authority, even people of of once great reputation who had demonstrated wonderful skills at that lower level, when they reach those heights of power, they encounter difficulties, and occasionally those difficulties are, are the temptation to remain true to their ideals and their principles. John Edwards once said, you reach this point in politics where you think you're invincible. You're incorruptible and everything you do must right because everyone around you or must be right because everybody around you tells you that. He says it's heady and it's hard to deal with. And I suspect that's probably true. Everybody that goes around and every time they you know, walk into a room, there's pomp and circumstance and hail to the chief. They're going to be hard pressed not to get a rather lofty opinion of themselves. Unless, of course, they turn on the news and, and hear how, how terrible they are. And then maybe that can help put it in check. I don't know. Um, all that said, I don't want you to go away with thinking that what Brandon's trying to say here is there is just nothing that makes any difference in this world. It's all going to be the way that it is. So it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter who you vote for, sit out of the election or participate. It just makes no difference. That's not my point. Um, and it's certainly also not the point of the lesson. What I have for you this morning are three things that I believe the prophets tell us that are relevant to even politics in our day. Politics, at least after a fashion, are the same today as they were yesterday. It's the same as it will be tomorrow. And you just can't leave out the opening statement of our lesson from Hebrews. So also is Jesus. And so also is God. And they're involved in the affairs of men, which is where the prophets come in. So I want to suggest three things to you over the next few minutes that I hope actually will be comforting and relevant to you. In particular, in this election season that we've got gearing up and coming up to the next couple of months when folks are going to vote and the decision is going to be made. And then, of course, most importantly, in general. So number one, this one's my favorite of the lesson. This is one of my favorite biblical points, period. You and I need to never forget that it is heaven who rules in the kingdoms of men. Heaven that rules in the kingdoms of men. If you would, go with me to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. I have no slides for you this morning, so we're going to go old school and analog, unless you've got your Bible on an iPad. So Daniel chapter 4, if you would turn there, please. We have had great presidents throughout our nation's history. We have had great leaders. We've had just great Americans who have have risen to whatever the need may be. I don't know if we've ever had very many people who attained the sheer loftiness and power of some of the people that we read about in the Bible. One of those that I'm thinking of in particular is Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of the Chaldean Empire, the Babylonian Empire. He achieved things that no one up to his time had achieved. And you might think, well, what about the pharaohs of Egypt? He surpassed even a lot of them. He's only going to be eclipsed pretty much by Alexander the Great when he comes along, and then arguably some of the Caesars. But Nebuchadnezzar is just an incredibly powerful man. In Daniel 4, however, when he has visions about what is going to happen to him, and Daniel comes to interpret those things for him, In Daniel 4, verses 25 and 26, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, 
that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, listen to this, until you recognize that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. So you'll get to come back to your throne once you learn heaven rules. It's, it's probably likely that I'm going to misspeak in some way that doesn't convey accurately what I intend to say. But I, I am very thankful that America is my country. I am proud to be an American, and I am made to feel small when I think about what countless people have done so that I can enjoy the liberties and the freedoms that I get to enjoy, the lives that have been given so that you and I can do what we're doing right now without any freedom of, of real persecution. Um, that's something to be grateful for and to always be grateful for. But I can remember um, when I, my first preaching work was in Dover, Florida, just outside of Tampa. And there was a man there who would pray in his prayers that America is the greatest country on earth, and we'll talk about that kind of thing. And if you feel that way as an American, that's just fine. But when you pray that on behalf of a congregation that includes a native-born Norwegian, not the best thing to pray at the moment. That person took that quite personally every single time that individual prayed and made a point of praying that. Because I'm thankful for this country and they were thankful for theirs. And God rules over this country in no greater way or no lesser way than he rules over the people of any other country, be it Iran or Nigeria or Great Britain or New Zealand or even those tiny little islands of Micronesia. The God of heaven rules over this entire earth. So you can fire up Google Earth if they still make that application um, and you know, zoom out as far as you want to, and you're still looking at what God rules over. You can zoom in as far as you want to and get down to see the roads and the homes and the tiniest plots of land, even on those little specks of land out in the ocean where surprisingly people live. And even still, God rules there, too. There is nothing happening anywhere that he is not permitting to happen. And I think that's an important point to remember. In 1 Timothy 6 and verse 15, Jesus is called the King of Kings. I think that's an easy enough to understand title. It means of all the kings, he's king over them. And that's got to mean something to me. So if I live in a country that has an emperor, Jesus is the emperor of emperors. If I live in a country that has a, a generally elected president, he is the president of presidents. He is Lord of all other lords. And that's got to be comforting. Even when you consider the country in which we live, and we've got candidates now vying for the supreme office, and, and I'm concerned, as I'm sure everyone is, with what particular direction this country might take over the next few years. But ultimately, this is one small piece of God's creation and one small time in the history of mankind. And Jesus and God have been ruling over and through all of that, no matter who the earthly rulers have been. 
and you take that into consider who all that's including. Think of some of the names, the infamous names that you know. Even with all the evil they were permitted to do, they have all been subject to God's decisions, God's rules, God's reversals, God's ultimate judgment. As Daniel says about as plainly as you can, heaven rules. So even, as I said, like most of you, I I have my desires for what's going to take place in in November, ultimately. And I know that can involve a lot, but, but ultimately I am not going to allow myself to worry ultimately about it. It may be about this thing or that thing, but in the sense of whether or not it's all going to work out for the purposes of the kingdom of God and heaven is going to be my home, like we talked about in this morning's class, whether or not anything's going to separate me from what matters the most, it's barely a blip on the radar. So no matter what happens in this election or the next, they're not going to be the ultimate rulers of this world or even the ultimate rulers of my country. So whether it's, it's your guy that wins or their guy that wins or you don't care either way because none of them are your guys. If I may say this without any flippancy whatsoever, our guy, our almighty God is in charge. No matter what results get reported on the news, the most high rules. That said, second point for you this morning is that our God does rule in oft, often unusual ways. So maybe sometimes we think, of course, you know, if God is ruling, then I know my candidate's going to win because my candidate is the moral guy. My candidate is the more righteous man. He's the one who cares about people. He cares about what God would want. And since God rules in the kingdoms of men, this guy's going to rule in our nation. And if you've ever thought that, I'd like to point you Uh, not only back to several previous elections where the result would seem to conflict with with our idea of who was going to be the guy for God, um, or whatever your idea of that may have been, because there's been, you know, leaders that have been elected from both sides of the spectrum, so no matter what you expected, you got disappointed a time or two there. Um, But I'd like to point you back especially to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Uh, Chapter 1 in particular. So near the end of your Old Testament, Habakkuk chapter 1. In Habakkuk chapter 1, I want to read with you from verse 1 down to verse 13. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, this is Habakkuk speaking. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous and justice goes forth perverted. Perhaps that describes how you felt in times past when you look at the situation in our country. That the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The righteous are surrounded by the wicked. Justice has been perverted. Or violence seen a lot of violence over the last several months. Why do you make me see iniquity? Or this, why do you idly look at wrong? 
How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? In verse 5, as your heading may indicate, seems to come the Lord's answer. Look among the nations and see the idea of behold, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own, conquerors. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they, fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. And Habakkuk responds, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. So if I understand that correctly, God, I understand that you are God. You are the Holy One from everlasting to everlasting. And then if I understand it continuing correctly, verse 13 is, However, you who are of purer eyes than to even see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So if I'm understanding this chapter correctly, in chapter 1 of the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is, is concerned about his nation. God, my people have become wicked and something has to be done about it. And God says to Habakkuk, and I paraphrase, don't worry. I, I'm in the middle of taking care of that right now. And Habakkuk says, well, how? And God says, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. But Habakkuk says, no, I would. Tell me. So God says, I'm bringing in the Chaldeans. That's the same people we just read about in Daniel. I'm bringing in the Chaldeans and they're going to wipe out this evil people. And Habakkuk says, I don't believe it. How could you do that? They are wicked and fierce and violent. How could you possibly bring them in and subject your people to a people like that? And God's ultimate answer is that's not the important question. Because whatever they do, they do at my command. I'm the one behind the whole thing. So if tomorrow or on some future tomorrow, things were to become so bad for our country that what we view as you know, rather improbable actually happens, and we even have foreign troops set foot on our soil and win and take over this country, just like was being talked about in class when Jerusalem fell in AD 70, that was awful. For those people in that city and what they experienced. But the will of God was still done. So if pretty great in this country comes to really bad. And losses experienced hitherto undreamt of. God is still in control. And that would at least to my mind be the most unusual thing. But he may do unusual things to bring about his will. 
He's done it before. And he certainly doesn't need our politicians or our parties to accomplish his will. He may need them out of the way. I certainly hope not. God is not the God of the Republicans or the God of the Democrats. He is God. And he can use either of those or neither of those if he chooses so. And I cannot lose faith in him, even though, as Revelation describes for John's contemporaries, the world seems to be in such an upheaval that it's as if the mountains are being cast into the sea. In my lifetime, the only time I've ever gotten a real taste of that kind of consideration was um, on the occasion that we're about to remember here in a few days, September 11th. Um, I was in in, uh, college at the time. And I remember when we all gathered after that happened to pray together and pray about a lot of things, to pray about the the families of those who had been killed, to to pray for our nation as it reeled, that we would, as a country, take wise action in the days that were ahead, wise action in dealing with the evil people who had threatened us. And then we prayed also for the souls of the ones who, who wished us harm as well. One of the prayers that stuck with me the most um, I don't remember who it was that prayed it, but was was from one who said that if this is somehow a part of your will, if what has happened, what had happened the day before was happened because it was according to God's will, then we prayed that whatever His will was, it would be accomplished. If it meant more judgment because our nation was due more judgment, then more. If it meant never again, then please, Lord, never again. Now, in considering that, I suspect I wasn't the only one who felt a bit like Habakkuk. How could you use such a wicked people for that kind of purpose? And as I watched those those scenes that I I can't watch today without getting teared up, um, it really did feel like mountains were being cast into the sea. And still, even in, even in that kind of confusion, and that, that, that I had never experienced anything like that. Some of you have been there uh, for you know, previous considerable threats upon our country um, to where you had experienced that sort of thing before, at least that kind of fear of the unknown. But that was, that was something else that, that, that my generation at that point had never experienced. But even in all of that, there was a tremendous amount of comfort to be taken in knowing that God rules in the kingdoms and empires and democracies and even over the radical elements of this world. God rules. And I don't have a a clear view of exactly what it is in all the cases. Um, And it might not align with exactly what I want, but as long as God's will is being done, I can't lose faith in him. And then thirdly and finally, I would say to you that heaven not only at times rules in an unusual way, at least to our way of thinking or our human way of thinking, but heaven also rules providentially. And I think this one's particularly um, impressive to think about as well. If you would turn over to the book of Ezra um, and look with me at three passages in, in the tiny book of Ezra. If you'll aim for Second Chronicles and then turn to the next book, you'll have it. We want Ezra chapter 1. In, uh, in this book, Ezra's people are exiled and under the rule of Cyrus, the Persian king. And, of course, the Persians don't honor God in any way. 
But if you look at chapter 1, verse 1, read with me what it says here. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. I don't know exactly how God brought that about. I know he didn't do it with some cheap mind trick. I don't think it's consistent with Scripture to say that he did it through mind control. But however it was, God stirred the heart of Cyrus to do something Cyrus should never have done on his own. No reason for him to want to do that kind of thing. And then turn a few pages over to chapter 6 and verse 22. Ezra 6 verse 22. It says, And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them, so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. God turned the heart of the king of Assyria And then just a little further forward to chapter 7, verse 27. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. God can do amazing things through his providence. And I think it would seem necessary from other passages that he can do so without controlling the absolute will of people. He can still cause his will to be done, even when they don't necessarily want to do it. He can use even those who would be the enemies of God's people to serve God's will, which we see no more clearly than at the cross, when those seeking to defeat God's king, in effect, crown him. And he can cause his will to be done even today, just as he has done before. He did incredible things then. He can do incredible things now. And even though you and I don't have an inspired writer pointing them out, uh, and whether or not we always recognize them for what they are, God still rules in the kingdoms of men. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So... um, This is probably a familiar experience. As my family has found out to their detriment, I have the ability to take a running garden hose, put my thumb on the spout, and redirect that water in any direction I want, including theirs. Uh, Many moms and dads develop this ability. If someone spills a glass at the dinner table, if you're quick acting enough, sometimes you need only put down your hand to divert that flow and avoid disaster. You have control over that. God controls the kingdoms of men the way you and I might be able to direct the flow of a small amount of water. And he's quite good at it. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. 
So I will tell you, even though I have no desire to make politics an issue in a lesson because I have just had my fill of, especially on social media, watching brethren devour each other in the name of politics. Um, I have my desires for what I want to happen in this election. Um, to just leave it as simple as that. Um, but if it doesn't go in the direction that I'm hoping it goes, um, in the direction of what I personally think of as the lesser of two evils, if it doesn't go in that direction, I might be wondering why. But I ought to know that ultimately that the answer to that why is because this is what God ultimately wants done whatever reason. Now, it may be that, that we have given ourselves over to so much evil that God is just going to allow us to continue into that, and this country is ultimately going to be judged. I sure hope not because of all the people who will suffer during that. But I do ultimately want God's will to be done. And if, if, if evil needs to be judged and God deems it so, then I, I, I must agree. So I simply want to offer you this idea to be thinking about over the next few months and especially that night when whatever result pours in that does and the final analysis God is going to do what God is going to do and granted you and I ought to do all the good that we can you do your research you vote for the candidate you think is at least going to help the kingdom in the best way if you choose to participate be the godliest citizen you can be regardless but still do not allow yourself to be unreasonably discouraged or perhaps even unreasonably encouraged about whichever politician wins, rises, or falls. Some of my candidates have won and some of my candidates have lost. But if I keep my confidence in the Most High, the Most High of Heaven, if I do what 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1 and 2 tells me to do, and I pray for those who are in authority, whoever they may be, and while I'm doing that, God will do his will in this world. And you and I will maintain our faith in him. And we'll keep our confidence anchored in the one who is really in control. And whose term never comes to an end. So I would ask you to, to be mindful of where you place your confidences over the next few months. It's not as if any of this is without consequence. But it is, not, it is without heavenly consequence. But then by way of invitation, I would ask you, where does your confidence lie now? God rules in the kingdoms of men. The question is, does he rule in your life? Ultimately, he does one way or the other. But if you will bend the knee in acknowledgement of that authority and live to serve King Jesus, then you get to be a part of his kingdom as opposed to judged by his kingdom. So maybe it is that just like Nebuchadnezzar, you have been stubborn. And you need to recognize that the most high rules. I hope very much this morning that you will do that before it is everlasting too late. Won't you please, while we stand and sing.